Hello, welcome to the Relevant Faith Podcast. My name is Frank Mistretta, and on this podcast, Pastor Troy Wallace and I have Bible-focused, Jesus-centered discussions about what it looks like to live as a Christian in today's culture. If you have any feedback, want to ask a question, have a topic you would like us to talk about, or just want to be on the show, you can email us at relevantfaithpodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out Crosspoint Adventist Church on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Adventist and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash crosspointadven. That's A-D-V-E-N. Be sure to watch the Crosspoint Worship Service live stream at our website at crosspointadventist.com Saturdays at 11.30 a.m. We hope you enjoy today's episode. All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Relevant Faith Podcast. My name is Frank, and I'm with Troy. How are you doing, Troy? Uh, I'm good, Frank. Uh, I am about sick and tired of being inside, but <laughs> besides that, I'm yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's yeah. funny. I have so many friends picking up crazy hobbies and, like, different stuff that they never would have been into. So, you know, maybe when this is all said and done, some people will find out that they were good and, and talented at stuff like painting or whatever you know yeah yeah just uh just to, to to pick your memory did you see the movie the ant-man and the wasp yes so you know at the beginning when he's on house arrest and he's like become an expert like magician yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. and and he's like really good at like guitar hero and like all these little, <laughs> he's been so you know, i feel like that's the moment we're in right now yeah well it's funny for all for all the the single people out there i've been seeing stuff online that says things like uh you know this summer it's all going to be about personality not looks because we're all just sitting around eating junk food and stuff so i thought that was pretty funny too like <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah i feel like people are um I know a lot of people, though, who are, like, buying Pelotons and, like, kettlebells, mm. and some people are, like, taking this as a time to just really gym out, which I love gym stuff, so I'm, I'm stoked on, which it'll be, That's cool. it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, the, the food control is hard because your fridge is, like, right there all the time. Yeah, so that's a tough thing. So, I, I, I mean, for those people that are doing the exercise thing, more power to you. Good for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, yeah, um, you know, the topic today, we're going to talk about, you know, where, where is God when, when life is hard? And, um, you know, Troy, you and I were just talking before we started recording that this has been a conversation that the church has had for 2000 years. It's there's so much written about this topic. Um, mm-hmm. What we're going to talk about will not apply to every person who has this question. Um, this is a very personal conversation to have with people, but I wanted to have something recorded just just so if people are really struggling with this, that they that they know that it's okay to ask this question and that mm-hmm. that there is um, Christianity does have at least better than any other worldview that I'm aware of an answer to this kind of issue. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Troy, yep. you know it, it's coronavirus. A lot of bad things are happening. This isn't the first time bad stuff has happened. You know, why Why does a good God allow stuff like this to happen? Yeah. Well, this is, just before I answer that question, this is way older than 2,000 years. Uh, it's thought that in the Bible, Job may be the oldest book. Like, as in, it was written before even 
Exodus and Genesis were written. Like the first book ever written in the Bible. Yeah, like as as far as like those people that study languages and the, etym- the evolution of language over time, like some people are pretty sure that Job is older in its origins than Genesis and Exodus. And wow. and Job it deals with the topic of human suffering and God's presence and God's presence and and his character in the light of that suffering. So it is the oldest topic to 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 date of of anything as it pertains to religion and scripture and stuff like that so yeah um but yeah so why does a good god allow bad things to happen yeah the the theodicy question um you know i i think i'm at a place where i've made a conclusion but i think that my conclusion needs uh, uh, it requires me to like, kind of work backwards. So I'll start by saying this. It's impossible to give a good answer to a bad question. Huh. Um, so the question of why is, uh, it, it begs a intellectual and rational response as if we could explain pain. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's very much an emotive like topic. Yeah, like, if you read the book of Job, it's all like poems and just like emotion. The book doesn't even really explain at the end why all this happens, right? So it's yeah, yeah. you're right. It's like hard to put in the words, huh? Yeah, it's a, it's hard to give a logical here's logic point A, here's logic point B, therefore C explanation to something that's this complex as to to answer the question of why pain? Why pain if there's a good benevolent God? Um, and scripture never gives us that answer itself. Like over all of the books, it never gives us the answer. And so I would say that scripture does answer a different question if you're willing to ask the question. And so the better question, in my opinion, than rather than why is there suffering uh, in the light of there being a good God is who is God? I think that's the better question to ask. Who is God? Because I need to determine for myself if God is good or if God is not good, right? Um, and based on my conclusion, my allegiance is going to either be for him or against him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that's a cool way that you phrase that question too because, you know, who, who is God? Because the, the underlying assumption is why does a good God allow bad things to happen? Is that you're kind of questioning, like, is God really good? Yeah. If, if all of this stuff is happening, does he really have, like, does he really love us, you know? And so, yeah, you yeah. nailed it when you just said that. That's really good. I never thought to think of it that way. Yeah. So people for a long time have been pitting these arguments, uh, pitting points of God against points of God. Like, so I'll give you one example. I read a book. It's called Why, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. Uh, by a guy named Harold Kushner. And I think he was a Jewish rabbi somewhere in New York. And what happened to him was he lost, he lost a son, a young son early on. And, you know, the heartbreak of losing a young child is just unbearable. And, you know, this sent him on his own journey of exploring the character of God. You know, he was reading the book of Job like crazy, trying to understand how this could have happened. Right. And, I mean, I'll, I'll reduce the entire book down to his main discoveries. Basically, he put God in tension with 
himself with God himself. So he, he basically said, okay, God can't be all powerful and all benevolent or all good. Right. He said, basically he reduced it down to it's either God's omnipotence or his omni benevolence, right? It's either God is all powerful or God is all good. He cannot be both. And so what Harold Kushner ended up doing was throwing out the God is all powerful and saying, well, he just chose to be all good then. And so basically he paints a picture of God being somewhat impotent, but suffering, you know, suffering with people. And I think that he retains some good, good points in like that he maintains a good God, but it doesn't quite, in my opinion, match the description of God, which is he is all powerful and all good. And we need to wrestle with that tension and understand how he can be both or, or, or why he is both, but he's not acting powerfully in certain situations. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's interesting that that's the conclusion that he came up with, because I think that, that bad things happening in our world makes sense in the biblical story, the way it's told, Mm -hmm. right? Because, you know, it starts with humanity in relation with God in the garden. And when Adam and Eve fall in the garden and they separate from God, not only are they cursed with sin and death, but the ground is cursed. God says that, Mm -hmm. you know, all of creation is now cursed. And, you know, Paul mentions it in Romans that, all of cosmos is just groaning in creation, waiting for the new creation, right? And mm-hmm. so, so it's never told in the Bible that that things won't ever get hard for us, especially for believers. In fact, you know, Scripture tells us to to expect troubles, and and um, even Jesus says, like, you know, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and stuff, but mm-hmm. you know, don't fear, like I've overcome the world, right? And so, yeah. um. Yep. I think that just the fact that Jesus came into our world and suffered with us personally, you know, he's been a human, he knows what's going on. I think that it takes, we're going to have to spend our life really like meditating on the fact that God's solution to the pain and suffering of the world is to join us in it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I don't have any more like stellar, you know, mind shattering answer than that, but man, just the fact that, God knows our pain and came into the world. It's, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think that, you know, you can say that he's, he's not good or he's not all powerful, you know, like, yeah, definitely. So a question that I always like to ask people um, who are wrestling with this reality themselves and maybe experiencing, you know, extreme pain and suffering emotionally and, and or physically, you know, a question that I like to ask people is, why would God put Jesus in it, like into that kind of suffering? Um, because I, th- I really think, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going, if I could just quickly explain what I believe about Jesus's incarnation, I, I think a, an understanding of that could alleviate unnecessary suffering that people have. So like, I actually think, you know, you know how Paul talks about, God gave the law to basically diagnose sin, Mm -hmm. like the revelation of God's character in the law, like the law revealing what holiness is, you know, 
also diagnosed what evil is. And Jesus being a greater revelation than the law, he, in even greater depths, diagnoses the, the ailings of the world, the suf- the, the, what's wrong about the world, I guess is the best way to say that. He, his incarnation and, and especially his death like fully reveals what's wrong with the world. And so I think that, you know, Jesus coming to become a man, you know, was very intentional that he would suffer as much as he did in order to fully reveal to us that the world is sicker than we thought it was. You know what I mean? That sin is more grotesque than we ever even gave it credit for. And that there is another way to live you know, in, in Christ and through Christ, like he offered life to us. There is another way to live in which he invites us to, but we first need to really see just how broken the world is. So, so going back to the beginning question that somebody might pose is why does a good God allow these bad things to happen? Well, I think that the heart of that question reveals that that person's beginning to acknowledge that this is not how it should be. Like, it's not how, this world is not how it should be, right? And I think that's actually a good thing that's coming out in people's hearts during that time, um, during that questioning, you know? And, you know, just something that I I always found interesting, um, I, one of the first Christian books I ever read when I, when I started following Jesus was Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And Mm -hmm. I think it's the first chapter or two where he talks about kind of his, main argument or whatever that made him turn from atheism to Christianity. And Hmm. originally he was an atheist because he had an issue with suffering and he was an Hmm. atheist because he didn't think God, God was helping with suffering. And it's, it's just an evil tragedy, like you were saying, but as he started thinking about it, he was like, well, why do I assume that this is evil? Like, what is it that makes me think that Mm. something like the coronavirus is evil? If I don't believe in a God and if I don't believe in like a good or an evil, then it should just be something that just happens. Right. Especially if you're, you know, super secular and you're Darwinist and you're just like, well, survival of the fittest. Right. But that's not what people feel. People know that this is a tragedy and it breaks our hearts because Mm -hmm. the coronavirus Mm -hmm. is just it shouldn't be right. And we all deep down inside know that there's something better, that that this isn't the way God created us to be. And so actually Mm. thinking about that, like why, how does he know what is evil and what is good was like the beginning of him becoming a Christian. And then, you know, he becomes the greatest, one of the greatest Christian apologists in, you know, the 20th century. So um, I think, I think having this question and, and wrestling with this idea and having this feeling isn't a sign of like weak faith. I think that, that God can use this to really deepen our understanding of him and, and, and the world we live in. And like you said, to show how evil sin really is in this world. Yeah. And I mean, the fact that somebody's questioning the character of God, again, there's a good instinct there where the, the, the reality is like, you can't have a fully good God who ignores suffering. You know what I mean? And, and so even the instinct of that question is a good one. It's like, yeah, good God would not ignore suffering. He doesn't ignore suffering. And, and therefore, like the search would lead them to find, oh, yeah, Jesus actually came right into the middle of suffering. 
and he healed people and he tried to alleviate that suffering and he tried to show us how bad the suffering was and he ultimately died under that suffering but then he showed us another way you know yeah. he gave us a new life a new window into life so yeah. well you know um something that that i've been seeing more of and, and pretty much any time that like a big disaster happens i hear about this on social media and the internet and a lot of christians will say stuff like you know this is god's punishment because we're a wicked culture and we're a wicked mm. generation and and god's punishing us because of this right um yeah and you yeah. know i that kind of irks me a little bit um before i talk or say anything i i definitely agree a just god will punish the wicked and i think that there is a place for god's you know punishment and stuff like that and i think jesus is the answer to that jesus is the the climax of that but you know in this specific instance um you know i've been i've been seeing stuff like is god punishing the world because of sin basically and and one of uh, i'm gonna quote dr michael heiser he has a podcast called the Naked Bible Podcast, and it's brilliant. He has a blog as well. And um, he talks about how Jesus kind of talks about this. He, he, there's only one time where Jesus talks about this. is Luke 13, verses 1 through 5. Mm -hmm. I'm really going to read verses 4 and 5. And he says, okay. um, there were some present at that very time who told him, Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he, Jesus, answered them. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And, um, you know, if you read his blog, you'll see that he... Dr. Michael Heiser quotes Dr. Daryl Bach. He has a commentary on Luke, and he says, Jesus' rejection, uh, Jesus rejects the common answer with a simple negative. This did not happen because the Galileans were more horrible sinners. Even more, Jesus does not pick up the question. Rather, he uses the occasion to give an additional warning about a more fundamental issue. The threat of a tragic end is present for all. The issue is not when death will happen or why, but avoid, avoiding a terminal fate with even greater consequences. Only repentance will prevent the death, that, the death that lasts. The collapse of a tower at Siloam that killed 18 was a natural catastrophe, one of those things that just happens. But here the question also becomes, did God judge them for excessive sin? In both cases, the question is the same. Is God giving back to people what they deserve? Jesus responds by changing the import of the question. The reason such events are so tragic is that they expo expose our mortality. Death exists in a fallen world, and nothing exposes our mortality more than when death comes suddenly and unexpectedly, cutting short a life that had the potential to be much fuller. Jesus argues that what should be contemplated is not the cutting short of these particular lives, but the fact that life terminates. <laughs> this raises an even more basic question, what comes after that? How does one prevent the end from being the ultimate end? Jesus has taken a question about mortality and made it a question about the possibility of eternal punishment, which scripture later calls the second death. So he urges the people to repent, without which all will perish, only in a death that is more than a mere loss of mortality. His point is that with death, with death comes a decisive encounter with God, one that does deal with sin. 
whether one is a little sinner or a big one, repentance now is the only way to just survive that coming encounter. Mm. So, you know, mm. it's in the Gospels, it's, it's Jesus says multiple times, it's not the circumstances of our life. It's not based on our sin or the sins of our parents, right? There are consequences to yeah. sins, but, um, you know, one of the Bible verses that just really, really holds me close with, with this all is, is Genesis 50, when, when Joseph's brothers were begging Joseph to forgive them for selling him into slavery in Egypt, and he replies, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And so, mm. you know, it's, it's, that's just my answer to that question, right? Um, I don't, mm. I don't mm. think that God's punishing the world for their sin he already kind of took care of that on the cross and now we're just waiting for the ultimate conclusion when everybody will be judged together yeah yeah that's beautiful i love that 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 thought because i think what jesus never shied away from is pointing people to uh to the end of things like you know he would he would cause people to to introspect and reflect on you know, where the trajectory of their life was leading them, you know, and that whole call to repent is to change directions, it's to have a change of mind, it's to, to reflect and evaluate oneself, and turn away, turn directions, you know, turn towards and him. And that the actual, of, the actual uh, Greek and, and Hebrew word for repent, it shuv is Greek, or the Hebrew, I think, and it means literally the turn, right? Like to like yeah. turn your yep. face, or turn around to turn yeah to turn another like another more greek definition is to change one's mind so it's like to change your mind yeah <laughs> you know cool. more mental whereas the the hebrew is more physical bodily it's like whole holistic the hebrew language tends to be that way where it describes things in in a more like like whole body perspective yeah. you know like to be stubborn was to be th- stiff-necked you know <laughs> it gives you a visual yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah well yeah so you know that whole question of like is god punishing or is he punishing for sin or that whole argument i think one of the ultimate tricks of the devil and i think c.s lewis kind of says this other ways but the one of the ultimate tricks of the devil is to convince us that the devil is god and that god is the devil <laughs> So, I mean, basically to convince, or no, I'm sorry, to convince us that the devil is God, that's what he wants to do. And also to convince us that God himself is the devil. Well, I mean, you look around at Portland, you can kind of see that, right? Like people, people don't think that the Christian, you know, Jewish God of Israel is a good God because of stuff that's Mm. like not even like a talking point, right? Like, it's just, it's just weird how yeah. people have kind of shifted so much to where, you know, especially in Portland, it's such a pluralistic culture where like, all we want all religions and stuff. But, you know, mm-hmm. when you just bring up like Christians, man, people get like mm-hmm. weird about it here. Yeah. It's, I mean, like it's, he's become in some people's minds, like the fiercest, worst, most horrific enemy. Right. And and I mean, that, that's such a ploy. That's such a trick. That's such a dupe. Um, and I mean, I believe the entire work of scripture is, is laid out to undo that. And so in this particular, you know, question that we're asking is God punishing. Um, I think Romans has a really interesting dialogue that happens when they talk about Adam and Jesus. Um, so Romans 5, death is characterized as being a ruler. Like think about death personified. 
so if death is a ruler right and he's ruling then the 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 way that he's ruling the the what it looks like for that rule to to reign is destruction and suffering right and so in verse 14 the uh, verse 14 in Romans 5 the the scripture says Paul says death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses even over those who didn't sin, sin by breaking a command as Adam did who is a pattern of the one to come um, so just to flesh that out a little bit death does does come from sin but in the logical uh, root sin comes from man not God. So ultimately, death and destruction come from man, not God. So to go back to answer the question, is God punishing people for sin? No. In that line of logic, no. Death is punishing people, and sin is punishing people for their actions. You know what I mean? Um, so death comes from man's neglect of God, not from God's willful actions against man. You know, and that in that way of thinking about it. Um, and I don't know if you've read this book by uh, Tim Jennings, but there's a book called The God-Shaped Heart. And he describes he describes God and the way people think about God and God's law, because that's a big topic, like God's laws and how he organizes the world and his, you know, his way of ruling, right? As like, we view this as these imposing things against humanity right or because people sinned against god they're now punished according to god's law against them you know that kind of exchange but tim jennings points out and he's a doctor he's not a theologian but he's a doctor he says he's like one of the biggest wrongs in our thinking about god is that we've looked at god and his law uh in the same way that we've looked at like like a country and its laws or a law enforcement agency and its laws. But what if we looked at God and his laws more like the laws of nature and gravity? Like when you, when we talk about the law of gravity, what do we think? Okay. Gravity is this thing. It's unseen, but it, it it's real. You know, I can't just jump and like, I can't just be like LeBron and jump like 45 inches off the ground. Like no gravity constrains me in different ways and it constrains us all. And it's invisible, but it's real. So if we viewed reality through that lens of like God's law and God, as scripture reveals, and as Jesus reveals is love, then his laws are an expression of who he is and his way of like ruling the world, right? So Tim Jennings gives this example about breathing. He's like, in breathing, there's this natural exchange that happens where we receive oxygen, we give CO2. And if we transgress that law and we choose to stop loving and he's relating like giving CO2 to like loving back, like giving what's needed by plants for their survival. Right. So if we choose to transgress that law, we don't only kill the plants, we kill ourselves. Right. So death starts to reign. So the wages of like tying a bag over our head with plastic would be death on both ends, yeah. <laughs> you know, mutual death. Um, so, so what he posits, and I think this is beautiful, is like, what if love is actually the reality of existence? Like it's the fabric of reality and human transgressions that cause suffering um, are brought on by the, act, the consequences of not loving. So the law of love is not a rule. It's a design protocol 
built into the fabric of reality is what he says in his book. Um, and he talks more about like how our view of God post Constantine in the early 200, 300, 400 era, uh, 300, 400 era, uh, AD, how, like because he he weaponized Christianity as a means of power, governmental power. How that whole that whole trans transition from like Christianity being a movement of people that didn't have a power structure to this 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 movement that had a power structure in a government. How that redefined how we view God and law. And so I thought that was real interesting. Yeah. But um, yeah. Anyway, um, he talks about this. He talks, he references something. I don't know if you've heard of this called the seven levels of moral decision-making. I've never heard of that. So basically he says that these are general levels and and in these levels, people relate to God differently. So the first level would be reward and punishment. And this goes back to your question. Um, The first level of moral, moral decision-making is we think in terms of reward and punishment. Okay. I do this. I get this. I do this. I get that. I do good. I get good. I do bad, I get bad, right? That's like the basic level of moral decision-making. The next level would be the marketplace exchange. So this would be like, I do do this action for you, you give me back this thing, and we both economically prosper, you know? Uh, The next level, he says, is uh, social conformity. So we do this moral thing to conform to a greater social norm, which brings more cohesion to society or whatever. That's how people can judge morality. Is it going to bring people into uh, uniformity with each other and therefore more peaceful and more prosperous? And that would be the third level. So then the next one is law and order. Uh, And that's, it's exactly how it sounds that there's uh, laws and there's order to things. And so you make decisions morally based on those laws being moral and the order trying to carry out that, that morality. Then he says the next level is love for others. Like if you base your moral decision-making on what is loving and good for another, like that's like the fifth level and there's seven. So he's not even said like that, that that's the highest good. Right. So then the next one he says is principle based living. So when you start to live based on principles and you embody that love and you have this kind of sense of law and order, and you're trying to do things for the greater good of society and you're doing things economically to benefit others, and you're looking at things through reward and punishment, like that's like the sixth level. That's pretty good, principle-based. Uh, it's not letter of the law, but it embodies the principles of good morality. But he says the highest level of moral decision-making is under, as being an understanding friend of God. <laughs> I thought that was kind of a... It's kind of anticlimactic in the sense that it's probably the most ambiguous for somebody thinking about that. But to be an understanding friend of God is to really know God and everything else comes into place underneath that. So we make good moral decisions based on our knowledge of God. Therefore, we know his principles. Therefore, we know his heart of love. Therefore, we know the purpose of law and order. Therefore, we know the principles to make society. Therefore, we know how we ought to benefit society through our exchanges of goods and services. And, and we know this general sense of reward and punishment. So just to, to, to simplify why I'm bringing this up, um, when, we, when, we just, when we stop and say, is God punishing us for sin? I feel like we're looking only through stage one of morality, you know, where we're only, th- we're only thinking about things through reward and punishment. We're not really thinking 
um, we're not really thinking beyond that. We're not, we're not thinking about, you know, loving for others. We're not thinking about law and order, you know, yet, because for people asking that question, they don't, they, they don't have a clear sense of law and order. Uh, they're just basing it on an ambiguous kind of understanding of what they think law is and what they think order is and the inconsistency that they're seeing in the world, right. Between those two things. So anyway, that was interesting, man. Yeah. I want to read that book. It sounds, you know, it, it's when somebody asks that question is, is God punishing the world for sin? I think uh, there's more, like you said, if they're, if you're thinking they're only looking at level one and there's seven levels, there's so much more that I think people, people who ask, who are like trying to challenge God by asking that question is it, they're just totally missing some of this stuff. Um, yeah. Well, well, Troy, so, so real quick, just to, to kind of give a closing, closing thoughts here. Um, you know, at some point, this coronavirus is going to affect people personally, um, if it hasn't yeah. already. And so what, yeah. what can we as the church do to comfort another church brother or sister during this time of struggle? Like, like, how would you coach somebody real quick, like basic, simple stuff that we can just mm. use to help each other out? Yeah, well, that the word coaching is kind of uh, misleading, I think, because the last thing, I'll, I'll, let me tell you a story first. Okay, so I did, I did about one year as a hospital chaplain, and you know, I sat beside, cried with, came alongside of people at the bedside right after somebody had died. You know, I you know, a surgery botched and they lose a loved one. Surprising. I've been at the side of people uh, that have gone through that, the death of, you know, the death of a friend, a best friend, a spouse. Like I've been there and early in my experience supporting people in that position as a man of faith. The reason I was there is because I was a chaplain trying to get spiritual care. The, the thing that I learned most profoundly was that Words don't mean a whole lot. They usually do more harm than good in the immediate uh, aftermath of that type of pain and suffering, right? That type of loss. And so I learned, you know, through that year or so being a chaplain in the hospital, um, that what I need to do, my biggest priority is join people in pain, join them, right? Join them normalize the experience for them, affirm their experience. And actually to my job is more to elicit the grief than it is to explain it away. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not there to fix or explain it away. I'm there to reveal love in the middle of pain. Right. And, and so I think, you know, everybody's asking, you know, who or why is this suffering happening? But but the answer that Jesus always gives is, I will suffer with you in your pain. I will suffer. I'll join you, right? And so what I, what I came to the conclusion as, as a chaplain there and as a man of faith, wanting to, to love people in that, in that loss was that the best gift I can give somebody is, a, is, a, is an embodied example, is a personal example of somebody, myself, who can believe in a good God despite a broken world with lots of suffering that my being able to sit in that space without it destroying me is actually what I extend to somebody else. 
that because it's possible for me to hold those things in balance, that it might be possible for them too. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's, that's my, my biggest gift. And so anyway, that kind of, I mean, the room, the, 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 what we're doing right now, talking about this kind of philosophically, it's good to do when you're not in the middle of something, right. right. Or maybe after something's happened and the emotions have kind of subsided a little bit. Uh, but to do this kind of dialogue in the midst of a great loss or a major suffering would be disingenuous and it would be exactly the opposite of how Jesus would actually handle the questions. Yeah. Right? It's tough to have, have this kind of conversation too, just because, you know, it's each person's an individual. Each person has their own situation, their own story, you know, having a conversation with somebody um, who's just like asking questions versus somebody who, who lost a loved one would be totally different, different conversations. Yep. Right. And I like how you said, Absolutely. you know, just being being with them and, and re, you know in romans twelve fifteen it says rejoice rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep and so mm-hmm. um yeah that's i mean i'm sure you have some you know learned a lot from from that chaplaincy year and that's that's amazing um well yeah. real quick um was there anything that you wanted to add or announce coming up we're, we're kind of hitting the end of our time today um for everyone else, be sure to, to like and subscribe to our podcast. We're on all um, podcast channels, so um, be sure to subscribe and like to those. Leave reviews. They um, increase our like rank in the queue, so if you type in Relevant Faith, we're, we would be the first one that comes up if you, um, if you leave us reviews and, and if we have a lot of ratings and stuff. Uh, but, Troy, was there anything you wanted to add before we pray and leave? I mean, just a closing con- thought conclusion um the thing that stands out for christian for the christian worldview uh is that the christian the christian worldview the christian gospel is the only one that actually engages suffering if you think of like buddhism it's basically like oh well you better do really good this time around so next time around it won't be as bad but it doesn't necessarily offer a complete uh, resolution to the issue you know um, the same with, with like some, like Islam and things like that, um, where that worldview, uh, some of the doctrine and teachings of that worldview actually demand that you do violence, you know, in order to achieve, to achieve your end. And the Christian gospel is like, no, violence is not the way, you know? So I, I think that the Christian gospel, it actually, it understands the question being asked, in a very intimate way, like it actually sees the suffering that we're complaining about and hurting under as the ultimate bad, as the ultimate bad, as the ultimate evil. And Jesus enduring that suffering because of sin exaggerates just how bad that sin is. It illuminates us to just how awful that sin is. And in so doing, Jesus reveals the love of God and points us to a future reality that we get to invest all of our energy in today for, you know, to, to the end of all things, to the end of all this suffering. And Jesus calls us forward and, 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 and asks us to be even now a part of this solution. So that's why I think the Christian worldview and the Christian gospel and the Bible is so beautiful is because it actually 
seeks to be the answer to the question that everybody's ask, asking. Um, so anyway, yeah, just a final thought. Yeah, that's great, man. Well, um, Troy, if you wouldn't mind leading us in a, in a prayer to close, that would be uh, lovely. God, we just thank you for this uh, time and space to to open these dialogues, to talk about uh, brokenness, pain, suffering. God, we just thank you for for joining us in those pains and, and for everybody listening uh, to this podcast. Um, it's just, it's an amazing thing that God knows all of their lives, all of their pains, and um, was willing to endure the same things so that he could be known and we could uh, be known through him. And so we just pray that this season of suffering that so many people are going through right now would be short, um, but that we could learn, Lord, we could learn how to to be a part of solutions and not uh, creating bigger problems. Uh, we could learn to look past this circumstance and onto greater, more important things. Uh, so thank you, God, for just your heart and Jesus, that your love and that we can trust that. And uh, we pray for the sick right now. We pray against COVID-19 that you would heal those who are sick and bring a comfort to those who are in pain. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Jesus came into the world announcing that the kingdom of God has arrived in him. Culture wants to have the kingdom without the king, but Jesus is as relevant today as he was yesterday and will be tomorrow. Thank you for listening as we wrestle with how to live as disciples of Jesus in our modern culture and to share our relevant faith. God bless.